0: ago now my son Zachary was at that age where he needed to move from the bicycle with training wheels to the bicycle without you remember that's a big moment it's a moment of real freedom for a young boy to get off his training wheels and as a dad I knew he was going to fall some so I thought well where's a good place to to fall and you get less hurt not the pavement so uh, we packed up our car with a bike and went out to Myrtle Grove Middle School. and They have a big football field out there. And I decided, well, this is a place you can learn, because if you fall, you know, at least you're going to be on the grass rather than on the pavement. So we all went out there, and we got in, I got in stable at one end of the end zone, and, and I ran a few steps and pushed him. And what a proud dad moment. Straight as an arrow never, fail, never fought, fell down. And I was like, yeah, that's my son. Except for when he got to the end of the field. He didn't know how to turn. So he got down, and I was like, turn, you know, turn. And he throws his bike one way and bails out the other. So I was like, okay, not so quite a proud dad moment, but I go down there and say, okay, you know, when you get to around the 20-yard line, you got to start slowly turning because otherwise, you, you know, you're going to run into the goalpost. I got, I got it, Dad. So same thing. I push him, and he's doing it. But I could tell at the 20-yard line, he, he was nervous about the turn. So he got to the end zone, same thing. Bike went left. He bailed right. So I got down there. I was thinking, well, how can I help him know how to turn? He's, he's afraid of sort of moving the wheel, as you might imagine. So I decided, well, I, I said, Zachary, look, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to run in front of you, and I want you to keep your wheel on me. Like, you're going to run Dad over, and he's like, awesome. And just wherever I go, you, just, you look at me, you keep your wheel on me. Okay. So I push him, and I run ahead, and I'm running. And first of all, I'm nearly having a heart attack, obviously. And um, I'm running out in front of him, and I just slowly run in a big circle. And I just make the circle a little bit tighter the next time, and a little bit tighter, and that's how he learned how to turn without bailing out. By, by keeping his wheel on his dad, keeping his eyes focused on his dad, and wherever he went, that's where, where Zachary was going to go. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in this particular passage. He's going to give us some biography here his past, his present, and his future. But it's not just a biography. It's not just information he's handing over. He's also trying to be an example to the people in Philippi. This is a young church. They're they're beginning to get their training wheels off. They're going to have to learn how to live on their own, to repel on their own. They're going to have to learn how to navigate what's coming at them. They're going to have to learn how to suffer. They're going to have to learn how to look at their past, look at their present, and look at their future in the correct way. And so Paul is giving us some information, but I don't want you to ever think the information is just plain facts. It's part of him saying, follow me. I know you all don't know how to live your lives in this new way, so I'm going to run ahead of you. And you just keep your wheel focused on me. In fact, he says it in in Philippians 3, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those whose walk, who walk in the ways that I have walked. So you're you're wobbly, <clears throat> I know that. So I'm going to run out ahead of you. There are going to be certain people who are out ahead of you. Just keep your wheel on them until you're ready to navigate more on your own. So Paul shows us how he thinks about his past, his present, and his future, and he wants that to infiltrate the thinking of the Philippians, and God wants it to infiltrate your thinking, how you think of your past, how you think of your present circumstances, how you and I think about our future. So before I I look at those three points as the three points of our sermon, I want to point out one overriding reality for Paul. Which shines through on every segment, and, and it, won't become, it won't come as a surprise because the overriding feature for Paul is Jesus. Now that's the answer to every question, isn't? It? You're in Sunday school class, and you know, what's, what's gray and runs up a tree and eats nuts? Jesus. I mean, if you're in Sunday school, it's just Jesus is the right answer. But here it is, Jesus. Jesus is the right answer here, and he's he's the overriding feature for Paul. And I, as I mentioned several weeks ago, when we started the study, Philippians two six through eight. This 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 gold standard of who Jesus is is the central feature of the of the book. It's the son. In the orbit, everything gets its orientation around Jesus. So let's just notice verse 12. What has happened to me? See, he's looking back in the past. Paul is referring to events that have led up to his being in prison in Rome. And he looks at his past events and he sees that God has used his past events. Even if he didn't see them at the moment, he can look back and say... God's been especially orchestrating these past events for the advance of the gospel. So when he looks back at his past, he just doesn't see the events. He sees God's sovereign control over all things. See, that's how he wants to shape how you think about your past. It's just not a series of events, good or bad, lucky or unlucky. No, God's in control of these things and that's how he sees them. Everything is happening for a purpose and we see the purpose of it here in verses 13 through 18, the present. My my present imprisonment is for Christ and it works out three different ways. It's for Christ in the imperial guard. I've been, all these things that have happened to me have landed me in this prison cell and now it's for the gospel to advance to the imperial guard. It's For the brothers to be more courageous and to speak boldly. And it's even for rival preachers, this odd little section. Some people don't like Paul for whatever reason, and they're really preaching out of rivalry in some way to say, see, Paul, we're free and we're getting back at you. It's not a great motive, but they are preaching the gospel. And what does Paul say? Well, I mean, I can rejoice. I mean, even though they're coming from a bad motive, they really are telling people the truth, and the truth is what's setting people free. So, yes, I will rejoice, verse 18. So Paul can rejoice in his current circumstances because it's part of a divine design. He just didn't happen into this Roman cell. He's been placed into this Roman prison cell. And then in 19 through 26, we see the future. I hope this will turn out. It's my eager expectation, verses 19 and 20. I, and I hope this thing is going to happen. He's looking now in his future. He's not certain whether he's going to live or die. But what's at the center of Paul's thinking? Verse 20. And I, I love this verse. With full courage now. I mean, you can just, Paul's in a prison cell. He's writing to these people who are just getting off the training wheels. And they know where he is with full courage now. As always, here's my hope in the future, that Christ will be always honored in my body, whether in life or in death. So Paul is facing his future with full courage because Christ is in his future. Christ is in in the past. Christ is in the present. Christ is in the future for Paul. And I wish I could stop here and just give several sermons on the necessity of somebody saying this to people in desperate need. For somebody who says, I've been there and I might even be in a hard place right now, but I want you to know I have full courage going forward because it's not based on me, it's not based on my current circumstances, it's based on Jesus Christ. And if I can have full courage, you can have full courage. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's just trying to take these bellows and say... I know it's going to be strange. It's going to be difficult for you, for Philippians. But take courage, because I have full courage that my current circumstances are going to work out for God's glory. Amen. I mean, you could go back to Joshua, and God Himself has to say, "Joshua, be 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 courageous." You, you go to Esther, and she's in this unique position, but she's worried for her life. And Mordecai comes to her and said, God, God is going to do something, Queen Esther, with you or without you, but I believe you have been chosen for such a time as this. I mean, who knows if she would have been able to say it without one person standing beside her and saying, be of full courage. God's in the future. It's not just about you. And of course, my my favorite passage from the book that we studied last year, 1 Samuel. Most of you will remember this. Remember, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, he's stuck in a cave of fear with his dad. And there's this huge army across this ravine. And Jonathan is the one who crawls out of this cave of fear. And he takes his armor bearer with him. And they stand at the edge. It's just these two guys and a whole army. And Jonathan looks at his armor bearer. He says to his armor-bearer, who knows? Who knows? It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He's not just breathing courage into this armor-bearer. He's going to breathe, breathe courage back into all these caves of fear. And Paul is doing the exact same thing. He's, he's saying, I have full courage, Philippians, as I, as I move forward. Even though I'm in prison, I, I have full courage because Christ is in my future. You see, when Paul wakes up every day, whether he's preaching to a large crowd or he's in a prison cell, every day he wakes up, he puts on the lens of Christ so everything he sees he sees through the lens of Jesus Christ when he looks back at his past it comes through a filter of Jesus when he when he looks at his current circumstances he sees Jesus in his current circumstances when he looks ahead he has the same lens on and my question is when you wake up each morning you put on a lens and do you know what that is A narration starts in your head as soon as you wake up. You know this. And what's the lens that you see your past or your present or your future in? Is it just luck? I look back at my past and say, well, I got lucky there or I got unlucky there or I hope I'm going to have good luck today. Is that the lens? Is it the lens of other people? well, if my parents just had been, if this person hadn't done, you see, that's the lens. I, I'm putting on them, and I'm seeing my life just through them. They, they have ultimate control about what has happened to me. Or maybe comparison or competition. I wake up, and the first thing I do is I check my Instagram post. Now, I don't do this, but... Let's say you did. Now, now none of you do, but I'm just saying, let's say you did. And you live your life by comparison to this screen. I wake up, oh I don't I don't look that good. I don't live there. I don't I'm not having that much fun. And this is my lens. I I, I wake up and this is how I live my life. I live it through this comparison or competition. That's how I judge how I'm doing. Am I a little bit better than these people or am I a little bit behind? My question to you is, you do put on a lens. What lens do you put on? See, for Paul, he puts on this lens of Christ. So Christ is in every moment. And because Christ is in every moment, he's really free to live. I want you to feel that. If you put on, my parents did this, so I'm stuck. And that's the lens that you look through your whole life, and you can't be free because you can't get away from that. But if Christ was superintending it for some purpose, whether you see it or not, you can really live in that direction with freedom. So, the overarching part here for Paul, his past, his present, and his future is, is Christ. And let's look a little more more deeply into each of these segments. Verse 12. What what has happened to me? What has happened to Paul? He doesn't say. He just says, hey, what's happened to me now? And he's going to move forward quickly. But my question is, let's just stop and ask, well, what did happen to Paul? And we know this from the book of Acts. Paul was in Jerusalem. He had gone there. and And because of false accusations while he was in the temple, his own people beat Paul, and nearly killed him. So they falsely accuse him of something, they start beating him, they nearly kill him, and some Roman guards come in to stop the beating, and so Paul can somehow uh, uh, explain himself, and as he tries to explain himself, this is what the crowd shouts, and I quote from the book of Acts, rid the earth of this man, he's not fit to live. While he was in prison, there was a plot to kill Paul when he was going to be transferred from one prison to another. He was kept in prison by a corrupt judge hoping to extort money from Paul. He didn't think Paul was guilty, but he thought if I keep him in jail, him or somebody's going to deliver some money to me and then I'll let him out. Paul didn't deliver that money, and eventually he was shipped from Israel to Italy. And on this ship, he got caught in a terrible storm. He nearly lost his life. The ship got shipwrecked on a reef and he had to grab a piece of of the ship and float ashore to an island where he had to stay for three months before he arrived in Rome and was put in a prison. That helped. That's what happened to Paul. Here's what's stunning to me. When Paul looks at all that, he puts on these correctional lenses. He looks back and he sees injustice. He sees extortion. He sees the shipwreck. But he also sees that all these things have happened for God's advancement of the gospel. And I'm just wondering, can you see that in your life? Or do you just look back and all you can say is, I just see this terrible injustice. And it is true. But there's nothing bigger than that in your life. So you live with that as the only way you move forward. Then you're going to get stuck. But Paul sees those things. But he says, hey, I now can see something else. That God was at work to serve His purposes. And again, he's trying to help. He's trying to help the Philippians. He comes and he could have said all this in this letter. He could have recalled all of his pain and suffering to his friends as a way to complain about injustice or maybe as a way to get some sympathy for himself or maybe as a way of saying, see all the bad luck I've had. But if he does that, Paul makes himself the focus doesn't want to make himself the focus, he wants to make Jesus the focus. So just when you talk about your past, who's the focus? Present, verses 13 through 18. Too much to unpack here. Uh, Let me just mention two things. One way the gospel was advancing was the imperial guard. This is sort of like the the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, these were these uniquely trained individuals for a specific task. And in their, their task, Caesar has said, hey, you've got to go. And on some kind of rotating basis, every eight hours or whatever, you've got to get chained to this guy named Paul. We can't let him out of our sights. And that was their tasks. What they didn't know is that there was another soldier. His name was Paul. He was also on assignment. He was on assignment not from Caesar, but the King of Kings, and he was specifically said, "Hey, Paul, somebody's going to come change them chain themselves to you, and you're going to be able to tell them about Jesus. That's your assignment today <laughs> and how do we know this was so effective? This is so beautiful. I want you to look back and look at chapter four for me, very end he's sending these greetings. Greet every saint. So he's telling these to the Philippians. Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you. Comma. Especially those in Caesar's household. Well, how did Caesar's household hear about Jesus? Through the guard. Paul was strategically placed in a prison cell to talk to one guard at a time, who then would go live his life. And then that would hit the Christianity, would infiltrate the highest reaches of the Roman Empire. You see that? I hope that gives you great courage because some of you are just like, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to speak to a lot of people. You can just speak to one person, and you may feel chained to that person. I won't mention who that could be. I'm just saying there are relationships in which you feel chained to the person. But you're you're sharing Christ at that point. You have no idea the ripple effect that could have. Second thing I want to mention here is verse 16. Notice this phrase, I am put here. Oh, so important for us. I am put here. Think of a, a chess match. These individual pieces, a pawn, a, a bishop, a queen, what are they all there for? To protect the king. And and the chess master picks up each piece and doesn't and, and just a little randomly put them there. He 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 strategically puts each piece in a place. And that's what Paul has in mind. He's on assignment. He's he's been strategically located in this prison cell. This is critical to understand because Paul didn't see his suffering as some sort of divine forgetfulness. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. You're really going through a hard time and you just say to yourself, I mean, God's forgotten about me. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see it as like divine dismissal, like, Paul, we need you to go on the sidelines for a little while. No. He's not in front of a big crowd, but he's not on the sideline. He's in this one strategic location. He doesn't see it as some sort of scheme of the devil. See, these are all ways we kind of associate our suffering. No, he sees his suffering through the correctional lens of Christ. And says this has a this has some kind of purpose. Now I want us to repeat these four words together. I am put here. But before we do, I want you to consider your own circumstances today. How has COVID-19 reshaped your life? Are you waiting for it to just to get over so you can go back and be put somewhere useful? Or are you saying, no, I'm put right here, right now. Think about your children, your spouse, your parents' current condition, your singleness, the fact that you're divorced or a widow. But Before we say the four words I am put here, think about your physical limitations, your financial struggles. Think about the job you have, the school that you're involved with, the team that you're on. And finally, think about any current circumstance that feels like imprisonment. you have those things in your mind? Now let's say it. I am put here. I wonder if you believe that. Or do you wake up and say, I'm stuck here. I really should be over here, but I'm stuck here. See, Paul doesn't see his life that way. Finally, in the future. He looks ahead, and whatever happens, whether he lives or dies, he hopes Christ will be honored in his body. And there's really a better word. Some of your translations might have it uh, for magnified, because it's megaluno, is the word. See what he's saying? No matter what happens, my hope is that Christ gets bigger through my life. So, whether I live or I die, my whole hope is that Christ looks bigger. When people look at me, then Jesus looks bigger. And see, so many times for for so many of us, what we're hoping our future is, is that I look bigger. I want to be more noticed. I want to be more of something. I'm hoping that I somehow look bigger. My bank account looks bigger. My body looks better. Not bigger. But you see, if you wake up with your lenses and you just say, I'm hoping somehow I grow. My personal portfolio is growing. That's not the right lens. The right lens is, as I live or die, I want Christ to be mega- magnified in my life. Verse 23. As Paul looks ahead to his future, a very key verse. I'm hard-pressed between the two, living or dying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. I want you to hear that. When a Christian departs, they are with Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of mystery about what exactly happens after your death and when your soul gets back to your body and all these kinds of things. But I just want you to know, when you die, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that it's far better. It may seem like a loss on on the side of the people of your family, but it's no loss on yours. It's, it's all gain. I was watching this very interesting biography about a guy named David Foster. I don't know if you know this guy. Very famous music producer. And I'm, I'm fairly certain he's not a Christian. Um, but it's just interesting how he saw life. And he had this great fear of death, and he, had pro- he, he made his family swear if he was ever on life support, they wouldn't unplug him. And they interviewed his daughters, and his daughters were like, oh, we can't ever unplug Dad. And then the reporter, you know, the interview asked David Foster, well, why don't you want to be unplugged? he said, I I just want to keep the party going. You see, for Paul, I mean, for for him to live is Christ, it's good. But the party is in the next place. He's, He's on his way to the party. David Foster thinks this is the party. Oh, help his soul, I pray. This isn't a party. This is the beginning, and every once in a while you get little slivers of it, but the real party is in the next phase. And so Paul looks at it and says, I'm going I'm to gain. And I just wonder if you think about that as your own death approaches at rapid speed. you've got to get everything crammed in this life because this is the real party. Got your bucket list. Or no, you you just got to be faithful to Jesus because the real party is out ahead. Finally, he says, my desire is to part to depart. And this is a very rich visual picture. It's about a boat who's taking up anchor and ready to set sail. So Paul looks at himself and he says, I'm, I'm ready to take up anchor. I mean, I'm anchored in this world right now, but man, I'll be glad when I get the call. Let's take up the anchor. Let's set sail for that heaven's horizon. He longs for this face-to-face meeting with Jesus. Charles Brent was a pastor in the late 1800s and his wife died he wrote this poem I'm standing on the seashore a ship sails to the morning breeze and starts for the ocean this is his wife she is an object of beauty and I stand watching her until at last she fades on the horizon and someone at my side says she's gone 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 from my sight that is all she is just as large in the mast and the hole as she was when I saw her. Her diminished size and total loss of sight is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says she's gone, there are others. Oh, what a beautiful picture. There are others who are watching her coming. And those voices take up the glad shout. Here she comes. You see how having these kinds of lenses completely reshape your life. And I just want, if you could just take a few minutes today and just ask yourself, how do I view, how do I view my past? Especially the suffering parts of your past. Was Jesus in that, or was he absent? How do you view your current COVID election, physical, financial circumstances? And are you really ready and longing for Jesus to say, it's time to take up the hard to remember these things, so Jesus says, I want you to do some things in remembrance. In remembrance of me. I've given my blood. I've given my body. I've conquered the grave to know that I'm going to bring you home. And so communion is a perfect time to think about our past or present and our future. So you've got this little cup, and remember, there's a small little clear tab on the top that you need to take off first, and get the wafer, and then you can open up the the purple tab. As we take these common elements together, let's just remember the body and the blood of Christ, and our hope in Him is taken. Where we all, I wish we could somehow see the lens that's on every face right here this morning. And I I pray that that could be exchanged if necessary for the lens of Christ. The correctional lens of Jesus Christ. So we could see our past, we could see our current circumstances and our future with great hope and courage, and cause us to really live. Because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.